Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and I'm joined, as always, by two very good friends and colleagues. Now, coming in from Bleak City, welcome Stephen Riley. Bleak City? Bleak City, this is where all of... Okay, fine. Hi, Paul. Hi, everyone. Sporting capital world, yes. And a big hello here at Foreign Against Headquarters to Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachy. Great to be here, as always. Mm, It's good to see our diversity policy well and truly in play here, having panellists from both Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, now, coming up in the show, the women's IPL, big news in women's cricket, lots of angles to cover, uh, and we'll be jo- joined, I should say, by journalist Ritam Mitra to go over the excitement that the recent WIPL auction has generated. In the shootout, more good news for women's sport with a new deal for the well, WNRL is what I was going to call it. I think they actually call it the NRLW, don't they? The, NRLW. Stick the W at the end, rather, the beginning. Channel 9 pinches the Olympics and also a great suggestion for a demonstration sport for Brisbane 32. Of course, we'll wrap the show up with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who've erred off the field of play, wished we'd forget about it, but of course, we enjoy not forgetting about it and bringing it back into the spotlight. Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC, as in a red card, yellow card, if you see something worth us considering for the segment as you wade through social media. Uh, and speaking of social media, you can find us on Twitter at for and against, little underscore at the back there, on Insta for dot and dot against. But with those pleasantries concluded, let's get into the show. Since the arrival of the Indian Premier League, the IPL, in 2008, we have watched mouth agape at the astronomical numbers that the tournament has produced. If you heard our discussion on the most recent IPL broadcast deal in the latter part of 2022, you would know that the IPL is now the second most valuable per-game sport on the planet, uh, behind only the NFL. Well, now the BCCI has, rather naturally, I suppose, latched onto the rising popularity of women's cricket and established the WIPL. Now, the auction for the WIPL was conducted mid-Feb 2023, Jono, and the numbers arising from that suggest to me that the women's game has also taken a quantum leap forward, just like the men's game did 15 years ago. Brilliant to see, isn't it? It really has turbocharged mm. women's cricket. I think uh, women's cricket was in a, an interesting spot during COVID, just pre-COVID. They had that um, World Cup, the Women's T20 World Cup, 86,000 fans at the MCG. But women's cricket was really hit by COVID. But I think this is amazing news and will do wonderful things for not only women's cricket, but women's sport generally. I think that's a fair comment. Riles, your immediate reaction to, to the results of the creation of WIPL and in particular the numbers coming out of the auction? Yeah, well, I mean, the big, the big opportunity here for women's sport comes up with the TV rights, right? And and what they the huge amount of money that went for the TV rights in the past. You know, the big argument against paying women's uh, as sportswomen the same sort of numbers that the men get was always because they couldn't draw the same amount of dollars in for the advertising and the, and the sports rights. Well, that's changed in in this particular situation. So there is money to spend. And uh, and if, if the viewers come, then then a new era is born. Very it's, a, it, it's a really good point you raised there, Riles. In fact, one I want to expand on later on. But uh, at this point, uh, let's bring in a special guest returning to For and Against to help us analyse what it all means. Ritam Mitra, who's occasionally a lawyer and when he can find some time around his journalistic escapades with the Indian Link Media Group. 
Uh, Ritam, thank you very much for coming back onto the show. Thanks very much for having me back. Uh, hopefully a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Return customers a good sign for us too. Um, now, Ritam, tell me, I mean, I could see you nodding your head a little bit uh, on our screens as we did that uh, intro when you listened to Steve talking. Were you surprised at how much the top women's cricketers are going to earn? Or perhaps let's lead into that. Jono, I think you were about to leap in there with a couple of key figures, like half a million dollars that the, that the top women were going to earn. Yeah, that's right. I think, Rochi, the top three were well over half a million dollars. So Samrit Mandana, 595000 Ash Gardner, the Australian, five hundred and sixty k, and Nat Scover-Brunt, $560,000. So big dollars mm. for what, you know, a month or six weeks' work. It's not bad if you can get it. So, yeah, Ritam, I'll return to that question. Were you surprised at the scope of the dollars being thrown around in that auction? Um, look, yes and no. I think it's, it is a quantum leap for, for women's cricket. Um, and in that sense, I think it's different to when the IPL um, for the men's uh, players sort of came in because that came in at a much later stage of maturity for the men's game compared to what women's cricket is at today. So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's a massive jump. But similarly, if you look at the kind of product that the women's sport, uh, women's game has become, you know, uh, John, you talked about, uh, the 86,000 that showed up to watch the Women's World Cup, World T20 final a few years ago, you know, in, in other spheres as well, women's NRL, women's soccer. Um, we've got the FIFA Women's World Cup coming up here. That kind of popularity, it, it just means dollars. Um, it means eyes on the game. And so in that sense, I don't think it's that big of a su- surprise. It's interesting, I think, just to take a step back and look at the corporate behemoth that, that is this this whole venture because, I mean, what we're talking about here is five franchises there was a combined, I think, US $600 million spent in order to, to buy into these franchises for the next five years. Just extraordinary numbers. The, the setup, you know, it's only 20 games, so the five teams play each other twice. It's over about four or five weeks. But that's seriously big numbers. Um, and you've also got, you know, the main sponsor, as I read, is a company called Tata Group. Mm. Ritam, which, you, you know, as you would know well, is, you know, Indian headquartered, multinational conglomerate, just massive. But for them to take on the WIPL is, is just brilliant news. Yeah, look, it's it's a crazy number. I think um, you guys have a lot of stats. I've, I've sort of, I'm a stats man as well, as, as cricket fans tend to be. So, mm. I mean, it, you know, to put it in context, you know, Ten and Paramount Plus paid about 200 mil for the combined A League and W League broadcasting rights um, last year. So I did some back of the envelope maths, and it just means a women's IPL match is going to be worth about as you know five times as much as an A League game. Um, <laughs> not to not to malign football here, but it's just it's a staggering sum. And I think Stephen, your point about broadcasting revenue is is the big is the big ticket item really. Although the franchises paid big money you can't keep selling franchises or you'll dilute the quality of the product so it was really important that a broadcaster came through with funds and I, th- I think just the other thing to touch on is it was literally just a decade ago that you know Australian domestic women's cricket got to the point where women's cricketers were sort of breaking even at the end of a season otherwise until then they would have to spend money to be a state cricketer um, and and even then being a professional women's cricketer meant you were earning something like 95 98 percent less than the men so um, it's, you know, in a decade to come this far is, is phenomenal. It's just huge. It's just huge. But Tam, is there method in the madness of having fewer franchises? You know, what, what do you think the, the, the logic is for starting with, with a small number of franchises? I think um, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by it, to be honest, because we know what franchise, you know, 
T20 franchise leagues like to do, and that is ram in as many games as possible. Um, we're the same here in Australia, uh, but the IPL is, is another story altogether. I think the, the issue is probably for the, from the BCCI's perspective here that they, they're doing a bit of a test of the quality here, not to say that there's any doubt that women's cricket is going to be good, but there's probably you know a market to be explored and tested, and I'd be surprised if, if the arrangements with, with the broadcasters and with the sponsors didn't anticipate some sort of ramp up over the next five years. In these initial stages, I think the, the focus has to be on a good quality product, um, and if they have to take a hit in the first year, they being the BCCI, have to take a hit in the first year to, to prove it, um, then I think they're willing to do that. Does the quality matter? Will I mean, I, I, there's, there's so much support for the, the women's game generally. Obviously, India's got, you know, industry, Indian industry has got right behind this concept. You know, I think people have watched enough women's cricket to get a bit of a grip of what to expect. So I think, I think we can kind of lock in the quality level. Can we not? We're, we're, we're pulling, we're drawing from the a world pool, world pool, just to state that, state that clearly, of of players. I think each side can have, is it four or five international players? Um, it's it's a fixed number, but it's a reasonable number. But I, I, I yeah. think that it's the quality of the game has sort of been demonstrated already. And, and I think my point is, at half point, half question, the only way is up. Yeah, no, it's, I, th- I think it's a fair point. I think um, in India, the quality of the cricket doesn't really matter as much yeah, because yeah, Indians will watch cricket to say. <laughs> um, no matter what. Yeah, But look, I, I think similarly, you know, the, the reality is that there's probably less of a pool of local talent to draw on and, you know, that'll, that'll change, um, that'll grow now that, you know, the BCCI has already sort of last year announced pay parity for women's and men's cricketers. Uh, I think that will drive more women to be confident of, you know, pursuing a career in cricket and growing that talent pool. So, um, yeah, quality might not be an issue going forward, if at all. I thought it was um, also interesting, a couple of things I read around doing a comparison between some of these wages or or salaries that the WIPL players are getting, comparing them to individual sportswomen in other sports Mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. And a couple really surprised me. So we mentioned the names before of three of the players who are on contracts of over $500,000. Um, some other names that we'd be aware of: Beth Mooney, Tali McGrath, um, Elise Perry. They're all in that sort of two fifty to three fifty k range. Those numbers are all better than Sam Kerr's Chelsea contract. Oh, okay, really? Which is, and again, that's that doesn't include, I guess, the endorsements mm-hmm. that Sam would make, which are no doubt huge given oh, yeah. her profile in the game. But True. just as as far as a, a pure sporting contract, it's less than that. And if you compare it to um, the WNBA players. It's also less than the vast majority of WNBA players, which surprised me. I ha- had to say. So, I think it demonstrates that you know this is a serious, um, seriously positive development comparatively for the women cricketers, um, and it's really probably you know the individual sports like female golfers and female tennis players where you know you could do substantially better than that. But obviously, it's really only those at the very top of the pyramid. But Rutam, did you have any sort of thoughts on that as far as the impact on female sport? generally yeah I, I think um one one interesting aspect i mean i think i agree i agree with absolutely everything that you just said there um in terms of the, the transformative shift it is for you know for the bottom line for these players i think a big deal for me too is the opportunities it gives to to former women's cricketers um to to coach to train um mm-hmm. and you know we've seen rachel haynes appointed to coach gujarat charlotte edwards is coaching mumbai um, so there's opportunities there for people who I'm sure would have preferred to be playing in the league, but at least they get to coach in it. Um, and I'm kind of interested to see 
whether we do get to the point where we have a female coach of a national men's team or even a, a men's franchise, um, I can think of I can't think of many reasons why that that wouldn't be the case in the future. Um, so, yeah, look for both current and past players. I think it's it's a huge huge win. So hopefully it keeps growing. Yeah, that is good, isn't it? Although I must say, when I saw you know John Lewis was one of the coaches, I I just shook my head. Just just Ritam, I'm interested to know if you're hearing anything about just the growth of the popularity of girls playing cricket in India. Are, are we are we seeing a, a change? I remember oh, a couple of decades ago when I was in Mumbai, as the sun rose, you'd have people, kids lying on cricket pitches, claiming them for the day, you know, and, and sure enough, the maidans would be um, filled, right? But I, I don't recall seeing a lot of girls playing you know, on the streets and in the spaces, is that is that something that's that's changing, or are we hoping that'll change? By, you know, because of this, um, I think it's absolutely already started changing during the T Twenty World Cup. Actually, out here a couple of years ago, I um, I spoke with uh, Jamima Rodrigues, who's uh, one of the Indian uh, women's cricketers. She's she's been doing well in the ongoing T Twenty World Cup, actually. But she she actually grew up sort of playing on those maidans uh with with the boys and you know she she grew up playing on those tough tracks against much older boys and um that's how she has become the cricketer that she is today mm. probably not at the level um in terms of the number of women's cricketers that are playing on all of those grounds but it'll it'll grow um so it's already started for sure and uh return before we let you go and this is as much a conversation point as a question necessarily but i think i do want to come back to steve's uh, original point there about and this this piqued my interest as well it's Perhaps not literally for the first time, but but this is an instance where women's sport has addressed the their own economic viability head on because that yeah the knock has been on women's sport. Well, you know I'm just going to repeat effectively what's the point that Steve made. Don't have the viewership, and and the reason why the blokes get paid a lot is because a lot of people watch it. So the blokes are playing, and you know they they're getting their cut, their deserved economic cut. You know it's a brutal economic reality of of why they get paid a lot of money. But yeah, this is this is the first time that i can think of that a league is standing alone like the the numbers stack up the dollars behind it stack up and as i say it's as much a conversation point as anything else Roz, i mean credit for you to raising as well is there any sort of expansion on on that point that you wanted to make oh look i, I just think this is one of those things that it will get to a question for you in a second return we'll just wax <laughs> lyrical ourselves for a bit you know i, I think this is you, you're seeing it across sports and i think there's a a an imperative for sports to get there or, or one day when this takes off, uh, they won't be ready. So in, in the AFL, we've just seen Daisy Pierce last year, you know, go from being a, a really great player in, in the league that got coverage, but not, it didn't quite break through. And then she got a, a main commentary gig on Friday, uh, sorry, on Saturday. Then she got promoted to the Friday gig and they turfed Wayne Carey. And all of a sudden, We've now got three people in three women in each of the main sort of commentary groups for the AFL, and you've got coverage there. And other sports have to do that, or the young kids aren't going to see themselves role modelled up up ahead. And I, I think so. Those things will will go at a pace, and and sports are going to have to be there. But you play this game out with real money, and all of a sudden you can see that the dominoes will start to fall in different ways. Imagine the the West Indies comes back. Because mm. you know, all the men are earning more money playing basketball than cricket, so that's the off off they go. Well, right now, you know, the, 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 there's a whole lot of female cricketers who will earn more 
you know, picking up cricket in the West Indies, then, well, eventually, then, uh, then basketball. You can see how these, these things could turn. I think it's incredibly exciting. Ritam, can you see, you know, ripple effects? I mean, in the American cricket market being, you know, perhaps mm. with the Indian uh, diaspora over there, you know, that it could, that, I mean, how far could this go? Yeah. Look, I think, I think when it comes to cricket, uh, I, don't, I think the sky's the limit for when it comes to India. I think India is the only country that could have set something like this up mm. at this stage, and we know that they started it with the IPL, and that's led to a ripple effect with leagues all over the world, including in emerging markets. So I think it, it did have to be India that, that started this trend. And, you know, if you look at what the IPL has done to the men's game, it's already almost rec- you know unrecognisable, um, especially as much as it hurts, you know, watching what England is doing right now um, is is staggering and you know if you think about that being done to a game that was 150 years old being men's cricket not that women's cricket has any less of a history but professional women's cricket is much um, much newer it's almost scary to think what it could do to the women's game um, if it could transform a game like men's cricket I think the other thing is and it, it is a bit of a disappointment for me personally that you know the Pakistani women aren't getting a run in India it's for reasons that we all know, um, but I do remember in the early seasons of the IPL, sort of watching Shobakta steaming in at Eden Gardens for the Kolkata Knight Riders. Like that was that was what sport is all about. Mm. It didn't probably have that much of an impact on Pakistan because they launched their own league a few years later and they sort of compete in lucrative leagues all over the world. But I don't know if Pakistan is ready to do the same for a women's um, league. So. It is just important to make sure the emerging markets get their share of the proceeds from this because, you know, that's how that's how the game will grow. Well, it will certainly be interesting to see how it all uh, unfolds. So, Ratam, thank you very much for joining us uh, and discussing the, 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 the continued rise of women's cricket uh, in India and around the world. Thanks very much for having me again, guys. Ratam Maitra there, who, as I said earlier, apart from being a lawyer, also has journalistic tendencies with the Indian Link Media Group. And if you listen to this podcast very, very early in its life stage, you might still be looking forward to the India-Australia uh, Women's 2020 World Cup semi-final. So uh, he's hoping the Aussies have won by the time you laggards have listened. Yes, on to the shootout now where we cover a few more topics in a briefer, punchier fashion. The Olympics broadcasting in particular, there's going to be no more Bruce... On our two TVs. No more Bruce McAvaney. I know. Um, Channel 9 has pinched it back. Channel 9 has pinched the uh, coverage of the Olympics back from Channel 7. Back from being the operative word because Channel 9, I think, had it about 10 years ago, a little bit less than that. So it's a 10-year deal from effectively now, really. It covers the next three summer games and two winter games. Quick quiz for you there, guys. Where's the 2026 winter games being held? Threadbow. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, I know the answer to this one. It's it's in Italy. It's in um ah oh, come on uh, Milan. Yeah, it's in Milan. it is. Yeah. How'd you know that, Steve? Oh, I saw it just somewhere, saw... somewhere. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And of course, this deal includes the big one being Bris Vegas in twenty thirty two. Uh, three hundred million dollar deal. Now seven paid around one hundred and sixty mil in twenty fourteen. Uh, they only got four games, only two summer games, not three summer games, so still a fairly hefty step up. And the thing that I'm interested in is how the coverage will will go because not, the nine media company, the nine group or whatever they formally call themselves, they've got a lot of avenues to market when it comes to the media in, in this country. So there was, of course, Channel 9, the uh, the main station. 
the various digital spin-offs that you can access. They're Stan. Stan's there. Stan, Stan's yep, the yep. streaming service. They own the old Fairfax rags, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, etc. 2GB, 3AW. radio stations, yeah. exactly. So um, pros, cons, do you care, Jono? Oh, look, I think there's a couple of points to note out of this. I mean, one, I think Seven obviously overcapitalised a little bit with the cricket, so they didn't have a lot a lot of dollars left in the tin, so pretty obvious that it was going to go to, to Nine in that regard. I think you make a good point in relation to the multi-platform ability that Nine brings to the table. It'd be really interesting to see how the coverage changes in between Paris 24 through to Brisbane 32 and see the extent to which, for example, there might be more on the streaming side of things or, or and or the extent to which some of the coverage or some of the associated coverage, like the docos and everything else or the interviews, might be put behind a paywall. So oh, if you want to watch, like you might have mm. your basic um, coverage on the free-to-air, but then if you want the extra stuff, then you've got to sign up for Stan. So I think there's all sorts of possibilities and opportunities there for, for Nine. Um, but yeah, your, your point right at the outset, with Bruce gone, who's it going to be? Is it Carl Stefanovic? Or? Eddie, Eddie, surely, mate. Go to Eddie. Yeah, okay. Uh, look, I, I think you guys are giving up on Bruce uh, too soon, you know. Channel 9 have 305 million reasons to go and get oh, Bruce uh, to come yeah. on over. If you, if you recall, Bruce, uh, I think our first go out listening to Bruce cover the Olympics was on Channel 10. So, uh, you know, I think your, your danger here is yeah. that... It was 1992. It, it, I, I have a fairly clear recollection. Barcelona 92 was where I first went, who's that guy? Mm, that was Bruce. Mm. That was Channel 10, you reckon? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's not getting any it's, younger, Bruce. Like he's 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 backed away from a few major commitments over the last few years. So. He's, he's been a doyen for a number of years. Oh, doyen. What a great word. He sure has. <laughs> all right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how we all go. Congrats, Nine, for taking over. But make sure you do a damn good job, please. Uh, we talked about women's sport at the top of the show. That was cricket. This is rugby league. It's worth mentioning quickly that the women have uh, had a bit of a result in in the rugby league in their um. Uh, CBA. I keep wanting to say Commonwealth Bank of Australia, but it's a collective, collective bargaining, bargaining agreement. agreement. Thank you. Now, the season launch, as I understand it, for the men's game has actually been canned because as we speak, and I appreciate this could change by the time uh, we, we get the digits out, but the men are still negotiating. I think Peter Volandis has finally deigned to come to the negotiating table, but that's that particular deal is all still up in the air. But uh, the women have come to an agreement where the minimum wage will rise from Thirty grand to fifty grand over the next few years, and teams will be grant will get a salary cap of um, it'll rise to one point five mil in a few years' time, uh, from nine hundred thou now. So not huge. Which, well, funnily enough, I but, think yeah, it, it's a bigger increase. So it's gone from three fifty to nine hundred now. So that's a, a threefold increase, oh, and then in the point. next few years, it, it'll it'll grow to one point five. So it is a very very substantial increase. For the moment, and it basically means that the vast majority of the female rugby league players can be professional, or mm. at least semi-professional, which is, you know, huge for that sport. Steve, how did you see that? Any thoughts? I mean, it's not quite WIPL territory, but it's a step in the right direction. No, but I come back to our conversation earlier about the WIPL that the this is a train that all of the sports need to be on. Mm. So I'm glad to see rugby league making the inroads that it can. And this is an investment by the Rugby League to try and get uh, players to be able to be professional and hopefully just draw that interest so that if they can break through, then they've got the quality to maintain it. It's, it's, it's good news. It's not good enough, but it's a good start. 
I think they're playing catch-up with AFLW, and I'm not sure they ever will catch up. I, I just can't see it having that grassroots support that the AFL women's game clearly has mm. and will continue to grow. But good on them for, for giving it a red-hot crack. Mm. It's a bit of a sort of rising tide floats all boats kind of feel with a number of women's sports at the moment. I, I think we're sort of, you know, basking in the glow, if that's the right uh, expression of, of that conversation we've just had earlier in the show about the, the WIPL. But, yeah, I, I think the economics are starting to work. They're starting to some fundamental change in the sports lovers and the sports administrators' approach to, to women's, women's sport and the potential for, for professionalism. So long may that continue, as I think we all vigorously agree. Now, lastly, in the shootout, from the It's Not Sport But We Like It file, which we like to drag out occasionally when we see something worth talking about, is uh, sheepdog trials. Sheepdog trials, yes, that's right, sheepdog trials. Now, don't ask me how, because I genuinely don't recall, but recently I found myself reading an article on sheepcentral.com. Don't laugh, John. <laughs> or you, Riley. <laughs> Now, being a bit of a smart-ass city slicker who trades in lazy jibes about things I don't know much about, it may not surprise you to hear me say that this was my first time of reading this website. The article that caught my attention was titled, Quest for Sheepdog Trialling at Brisbane Olympics Has Legs. And it had me wanting more, John. Now, anyone who's been in one of these sort of Easter show kind of things, uh, or who actually lives in the country perhaps, will probably be aware that the art of getting a sheep dog to do as much of the work as possible when rounding up and moving sheep from place to place is very much a, uh, a thing, as lazy people are prone to say. Now, humans and indeed dogs being competitive beasts, it may not surprise you to learn that there are competitive outlets for people who think that they and their bluey are pretty damn good at it. You with me so far, guys? Yeah, yeah. There, there's more. So these people have their eye, as the headline suggested, on the Brisbane 2032 Olympics. And in fact, not just a demonstration sport, which I would have thought would have been the easiest sell, but anyway, uh, but an actual competitive sport. So, you know, the full gold medal status and all that jazz. Now, it's first floated as an idea apparently in 2021. The idea hasn't yet run out of puff. And indeed, they're now getting formal letters back from, the, from BOCOG, <laughs> <laughs> as I like to call them, uh, but they're not actually called that anymore. That's a throwback to SOCOG for those who are old enough. Uh, the Brisbane Organising Committee of the Games, uh, essentially saying that to qualify as an Olympic sport, they need to do this, and this is worth paying attention to. They need to demonstrate that it has an international governing body, that it complies with the Olympic Charter. They run both men's and women's competitions. They can maximise the popularity of the Olympic Games and also containing costs and keeping complexity low. Oh, and also that it's relevant to young people. So that's an interesting insight. I must say, I hadn't really sort of crystallised my mind. What the criteria are. what the Olympics is looking for. That's Mm. right. Now, so they do have an international governing body. It's called the International Sheepdog Society, who apparently were a bit lukewarm at this idea at first, but they're still, they're they're coming around. They're coming around. Now, the problem, to sort of give this, this some sort of conclusion and this is my unsolicited advice to sheepdog trials the world over, is you need to sort that as this, this particular thing out as a priority. The problem is that there seems to be different rules in different countries. Ah. The Olympic <laughs> Charter has failed to think about that. It's made mm. assumptions. And I can infer this problem from a quote from one of the organisers of the Australian, it's one of the people who's behind the Australian push. It would be better, the event, the Olympic event, would be better off to be a three-sheep trial which I thought straight away made sense. Uh, now, whether it's a combination of UK, New Zealand and Australian rules, whatever, it would be awesome. Now, I think in that one sentence, this person, I think, I think she has um, underlined, belied the problem that, that sheepdog trials has when it comes to becoming an Olympic sport. 
Who gets a gold medal, Richie? Is it the uh, dog or the, the human? Human. Or is it joint gold medals? Well, look, how when, when, when someone riding the horses gets a gold medal, I don't see a gold medal going the horse's neck. Yeah, I suppose that's right. Yeah. So it is, I, I can't believe I'm going to take this idea seriously for just a second. But just <laughs> you a need second. to. It's a serious idea. It, it, it's not a serious idea. I mean, seriously, you know, what's next? Wood chopping. Um, oh, yeah, that's but, a good but, idea. But, <laughs> just everything from the Easter show. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Fruit growing. Look, it, it, Dodge we're seeing issues with equestrian at the moment, right? That that they are all rather in. Um, oh, help me out. Modern pentathlon. With modern horsey, pentathlon. Horse component. Of Where, pentathlon. You know, what are we going to do? Are we going to have random sheep? But it, it it it. How do you choose the sheep that go? It doesn't work. Animal doesn't cruelty work. as well. Yeah, that's Some right. issues. Do the there? sheep yeah, like yeah. this? I think the um. The, what are they called again? The International Sheep Dog Society needs to think of that as well, don't they? The animal cruelty have a component. Good hard look at themselves. That won't get off the ground. That's just made me realise. No, I just realised why the the uh, internet. What is it? International the, the... Sheep Dog Society. ISDS, Steve, to its friends. Yeah, no, no, the, the ISDS. They don't want the the sport to become too popular. They'll get blow-ins, barbarians. Mm. You know, you you've got to keep it pure. Only for the connoisseurs, all the, the regular lovers, will, will get um, yeah. marginalised. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's good. Well, I think this has been a very useful segment for sheepdog trials around the world. <laughs> Thanks for to rethink their strategy. Uh, dear, now another show where we seem to have started red card, yellow card, possibly a tad early. No, all the best to the sheepdog trials. I think it's great. Let's get into red card, yellow card, where of course uh, we poke fun at uh, sporting people who've. Done something silly off the field of play, something that they probably wish was buried, but we're going to exhume it and parade it around for all it's worth. Stephen Riley, start us off, mate. What have you got uh, for red card, you, yellow card? You know, I was going to nominate you for that bloody sheepdog segment, <laughs> but but then you used the word exhume in a sentence, and I'm going to let you off. Um, I am going to nominate Jack Ginevan from the Collingwood Magpies ah, yes. uh, football team. He's uh, he's been done. He's been done. He's been caught taking drugs recently in a Torquay hotel. Allegedly, uh, actually in the toilets at the Torquay hotel. I think he's admitted it, Rochi. I don't yeah, think there's yeah, anything alleged. Oh yeah. yeah, no, no. And he said it was on the basis of a few drinks and a lack of judgment. I'm just going to stop there. That's it. That's it. It's just red. It's just <sighs> stupid. I can't believe that people do it year after year after year. Well, no, no. yeah. Well, it's because well, they're different, it's, it's different people year after year after year. It's not Jack Ginneman doing it year after year after year. It's the next young person. It's the next young person with lots of money, lots of time, lots of fame, lots of adulation, lots of alcohol, and someone parading around with a bag of whatever it might be. So it'll happen again, mate. So you need to be, be you know, <laughs> well, you need to accept that. That's a good point. I mean, what sort of red card, yellow card would we have without it? It's a good point. And then Thanks, one Jack. Day, Appreciate that. That's it. We, we enjoy your coming of age moment. Thank and then you. hopefully one day we'll all realise as a society that whatever person decides to stick in their own body is entirely their own matter and shouldn't be the matter oh, of the police. Oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> anyway, so what are we, a, a yellow card? For, oh, you want to go red. Yeah, yellow card. There's no point. Drag that out any further. Okay, Steve. Okay. Go on, Jono. What do you got for us, mate? Uh, Reggie, I'll nominate you as well for that rant. Uh, Thanks, I mate. don't know. You're, you're on fire tonight. Yeah. But um, I'm going to go Tiger, Tiger Woods uh-huh. uh, this show. Uh, it was great to see Tiger back competing on the PGA Tour recently, um, first time in 18 months or so at the recent Genesis Invitational. Um, the incident I want to refer to was in, I think, round two. He was paired with his great friends, Justin Thomas, JT Thomas, um, just JT and Rory McElroy. Now They're actually great friends, just checking. They are, yeah, okay. they're really good oh, friends. Yeah. Now, 
is this that sort of? It's kind of a fine line. It's mm. whether it's on or off field. But hear me mm. out. I've got a I've got a theory here. So let's just see how this plays out. So the the what happened was Tiger had just teed off on a long par five, and lo and behold, he outdrove his good mate JT by about twenty meters. Tiger used wow. to be a big hitter back in the day. JT's twenty nine. Tiger's forty eight. Um, so it was quite a you know big deal for Tiger to to outdrive him. Um, wow. Didn't quite make the same distance as Rory, who's one of, if not the longest hitter on the PGA Tour. So anyway, as the group walks down the fairway to find their ball and play their next shot, Tiger surreptitiously hands something to Justin Thomas, a tiny little package. The cameras pick up JT's reaction and he kind of looks weirdly and then throws this package away. And it obviously piqued the interest of the TV crew. Uh. And so they've gone in for the close-up. And it turns out that Tiger had handed JT a tampon. Why? With the insinuation that I think JT drives that question. Well, drives like a girl, like just pretty oh, dis- okay. disgraceful. So social media, mainstream media, have blown up and said, you know, this is disgraceful, accusing Tiger of all sorts of insensitivities. Now, there's no doubt that's a hundred percent correct, and um, the joke, if it, if you could even describe it, that was in extremely poor taste, uh, and Tiger shouldn't have done it. But it's not the first time Tiger has been nominated. I thought it was worthwhile. Mm. And for mine, I think it's off field, even though he's just you know walking down the fairway gone. because he'd played his shot. And also just noting the degree of planning that must have been involved. Mm. Like someone within his team off the field of play has, or he has, either bought it or procured it. He's carried it around and waited for the right moment to hand it. But there you go, Tiger. I think yellow card. And he embarrassed himself I don't uh, at the, in the apology as well, didn't he? Didn't he do a ham-fisted apology? Yeah. Apologies if I've offended anyone, that kind of that Yeah, kind of he, he's pretty bad at apologies, if anyone remembers his yeah. uh, press conference from many years ago when he apologised yeah. for the other incidents. Indeed. All right. Uh, yellow? Are we agreeing on a yellow? I think there? yellow. <clears throat> no, red. Oh, my God. That's a straight red. Ooh. There's no... There's no... That, it, it, I'm moving no straight room. on to my one, Steve. Um, oh so my for God. my red card, yellow card nomination... Red. I was originally going to have a crack at Channel 7 for overlaying advertising when um, a Formula One car was zooming around Bathurst as part of the Bathurst 12-hour build-up in uh, early to mid-Feb. You're there, you want, to, you want to listen to the sound of this old V10 engine fanging around Bathurst and they Channel 7 put ads over the top. Still yeah. that little picture in the corner. What's the point of the picture? I want to hear the noise. Anyhow, soon realised it was on Foxtel, so it didn't matter. However, <clears throat> I'm nominating Barcelona. Barcelona... Is going, as in the football club, they're going a bit Man City, who um, look, we might even talk about next show, in that they are opening themselves up to potential punishment, including relegation, because they have been accused of paying off the ref. Now, Barcelona denies any wrongdoing, of course, but it has been discovered, apparently, that it, the football club, paid the former vice president of the Technical Committee of Referees a grand total of 1.4 million euros... 1.4 million euros. It's a tick over 2 million Aussie folks. Why did they pay that? Well, the club says that the money was compensation for advice received about how players should behave towards referees. So it's kind of an etiquette lesson, really. Risky move. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Now, Jose Maria en- Enriquez Negrera, I think, was the gent in question who received those funds. Uh, look, fortunately, he's testified that Barcelona did not receive preferential treatment. Nothing to see here. Referees. Nah, that's nah, all good. So, oh, good. Oh, I'm glad they yeah. cleared it up. <laughs> so uh, a yellow card to Barcelona, I think. Until such time as the regulators catch up with them and potentially upgrade that to a red. But I think... I think I, I, and once again, I think you've qualified for a nomination yourself by sneaking in two. 
Yeah, I know. That was a bit cheeky. But I did want to I did want to berate Channel 7 for being disrespectful, but it wasn't really. And you got quite. motorsport in there as well, right? Yeah, it's a good point. It's been yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been at least 40, 40 odd minutes. Uh, so with the conclusion of red card, yellow card, uh, of course, brings an end to for and against. So it leaves me with a simple task to say farewell, Stephen Riley. See Paul, see Simon, see everyone. Speaking of Simon, goodbye, Simon Johnson. Adios, Reggie. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, you can get us on Twitter at for and against underscore and find us on Instagram at for dot and dot against. But until we do it all again in around about a fortnight's time, it is bye for now. Bye.